Let me now invite your attention to a portion of God's Word found in 1 Corinthians 11. You find that, and I want <clears throat> to read you something while you're thumbing around in there. Um, it's not long, but I think you'll find it profoundly prophetic. Uh, it was written by one of my heroes. I'll tell you about that in a minute. The quote is this. <clears throat> it is difficult to imagine the world in the year 2000, by which time versatile microprocessors are likely to be as common as simple calculators are today. We should certainly welcome the fact that the silicon chip will transcend the human brain power as the machine has transcended human muscle power. Much less welcome will be the probable reduction of human contact as the new electronic network renders personal relationships ever less necessary. In such, a in such a dehumanized society, the fellowship of the local church will become increasingly important, whose members meet one another and talk and listen to one another in person rather than on a screen. In this human context of mutual love, the speaking and hearing of the Word of God is also likely to become more important for the preservation of humanness, not less. That was um, a statement made by John Stott in 1982. That's 15 years or so before the iPhone. Um, did you hear that dehumanized society um, make, renders personal relationships ever less necessary? And then he underscores the role that the Christian church can play. The local church will become increasingly important where people meet one another and have relationships um, face-to-face instead of on a screen. Guys, um, Kyle was up here a few minutes ago and he was telling you about this trip to Colorado uh, with our uh, high school students. And one of the things that they do is they take that 20-hour bus drive all the way out to Colorado and when the kids are getting off the, uh, the bus, they take up their phones, put them in a box, and hold on to them all week long. Then when the week's over, they give them the phones back. And not all of them, but some of them said, I wish I hadn't, didn't have to take it back. I don't want it. I don't want to get back into that. You know, it was said at a staff meeting this Tuesday that there's more depression among high school students than ever before. And I asked, why do you think that is? And Anna Scold said, because of comparison. Comparison that goes on on these iPhones, because everybody puts their A game on the iPhone. You know, the awards, the beauty, the, uh, you know, everything. So everybody's comparing, constantly comparing. And it is, um, I, I'm not trying to deny that there's value in, in, in an iPhone, folks. I'm simply saying that because of the downside of it, this dehumanizing element, it makes the local church, um, how does he say it, increasingly more important. Folks, um, in many instances, one of the things that you need is a church home, not just a church, but a church home, a church family where part of that dehumanizing can be overturned. 
as you relate to uh, other members of the body of Christ. It's something to think about. Folks, this was said 15 years before the iPhone. Imagine how that um, ramped up the speed of the um, finding human contact unnecessary. Just thought you would like to give that some thought. Now, I want to read you from 1 Corinthians 11. Um, 1 Corinthians 11 is one of those uh, known chapters by at least people in theological circles because it's considered the words of institution of the Lord's Supper, the sacrament. So Paul's words of institution are found in 1 Corinthians 11. I want to read you just a portion of that chapter. I want to begin reading at verse 27. You follow as I read. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so in, and then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some of you, some have died. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, the church at Corinth was Paul's problem child. He wrote three letters to the Corinthian church, only two of which found their way into the New Testament. But in those three letters, it seems like at least the bulk of those letters are dedicated to Paul correcting problems that existed in the church. 1 Corinthians 11 is a classic example of that. Uh, The first half of it is dealing with one problem. The second half of chapter 11 is dealing with the abuse that Paul saw going on in the Corinthian church at the Lord's Supper, at this, this sacrament. And so he writes to rebuke them. We didn't read this, but it's in verse 22. What? Do you not have a house to eat or drink in? That's Paul rebuking the Corinthian church for what what they're doing there in the Lord's Supper. He writes to rebuke. He writes to correct. And then he writes to, to give them some instruction as to how they might perform more successfully Some soul management is what I'm calling it. Now, guys, um, here at Grace of Van, we have this sacrament once a month. That may not be often enough. I don't know. But we have it once a month. And every month, I stand out here, and I do this, which is called fencing the table. And I think for many, the the whole idea of fencing the table is is new. I didn't know. I never heard that word before. Where did you get that word out here? Well, um... Um, if you've ever wondered where this fencing thing comes from, I just read it to you out of 1 Corinthians 11. Um, you know, I, I stand up here and I say something like, uh, just wanted you to know that that's not a Gracie Van rule. Um, it's not like there's some weirdo bunch over there that's got all these rules. No, no. It's simply us trying to honor this prescription on the part of the Apostle Paul. Now, I think I maybe have showed you that before. 
But just recently, I read a, a, a treatment of it by Jonathan Edwards, and as per custom, what Jonathan Edwards said was more profound than anything I've ever said. And so I started to, to I, I decided to come back to it and, and, um, and discuss it again. So here we go. Gang, there is a sense in which God, in his kindness, has made it very difficult on us to fall into some kind of unconscious sin, to just kind of slip into unconscious sin. Now, the conscious sin is a different story. I mean, we choose to sin consciously. But he's made it somewhat difficult for us to slip into unconscious sin. And here's how he's done it. First of all, um, he has given us the resident Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit uh, uh, takes up residence in our souls. And part of his job is to rebuke us for our sin. That's what John 16, verse 8 says. He rebukes us. Another thing that he has done is that he has commanded us that we are to take ourselves and place ourselves underneath the preached word at least once every seven days. That's called the fifth commandment. It's found in the Ten Commandments. You know, honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Here's another thing that he's done. The disciples come to Jesus and they say to Jesus, Jesus, could you teach us to pray? And he said, I'll be glad to. So he teaches us the Lord's Prayer that we said just a moment ago. But one of the petitions in that prayer is, forgive us. Forgive us our debts, our sins, our trespasses, however you want to say it. Forgive us. So what he's saying is that every time we pray, we ought to confess sin. And then here's another thing that he's done that made it, makes it difficult on us to slip unconsciously into sin. This. The Lord's Supper. Guys, um, here's the lesson. The lesson is that even the redeemed people of God, that is us, we must regularly confront our sin and regularly repent of sin. I've said this to you three dozen times, I know, but I'll say it again. When Martin Luther wrote his 95 Theses uh, on which the Protestant Reformation was based, the number one thesis, or the thesis of the 95, numero uno, first on his list of 95, was that repentance was to be a way of life for us Christians. It's, it's that kind of soul management um, that I think is somewhat foreign to, to 21st century Christians, unfortunately. We prefer a different kind of Christian life. Um, one that Jonathan Edwards calls a sleepy spirituality. You know, when we, where we just kind of neglect the whole thing and uh, we overestimate how well we're doing spiritually and then, bam, kind of like erosion, you know, it goes on silently and all of a sudden the, uh, the result is catastrophic. So into a Christian church that prefers sleepy 
Christianity or sleepy spirituality comes this, the Lord's Supper, and all that it reminds us of and all of which it warns us. First of all, it calls us to self-examination. Did you see that? Let a man examine himself. You see, guys, um, when we eat and drink of this sacrament, we, we are to be reminded of our great need. And that need is to regularly feed on Christ. This sacrament also reminds us to return to a, to a humble posture of reliance on the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. It reminds us that that condemnation that is mentioned in the text, that that condemnation um, for us has been canceled. It's been canceled by the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Christ, our high priest, has made atonement for sin. My sin. By his broken body and shed blood. Now, with all that in mind, I want to read you one sentence from Jonathan Edwards. He said this, and I quote. By the way, is that name unfamiliar? Jonathan Edwards is considered the greatest theological mind that America ever produced. He says this, and I quote. If you live in any known way of wickedness, Don't come here to eat and drink damnation to yourselves. If you live in any known way of wickedness, don't come here. That's not my advice. That's not even Jonathan Edwards' advice. It's Paul's. Let a man examine himself. And then let him eat and drink. Folks, one of the things that the Lord's Supper does is that it calls us to repent. And then having repented... It calls us to rejoice. To rejoice in the fact that every penny that I owed because of my sin has been paid. How? By the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, this sacrament is a lot. But one of the things that it is, is an aid in soul management. Let's pray together. Our Father, um, would you remind your people that this is not some kind of useless ritual, but that you have established it for lots of reasons, but one of the reasons is to give us a regular reminder of our need to repent. A regular reminder that the only remedy for 
our sin is the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is a regular reminder that we are to feed upon Christ, that our need is to regularly feed on Christ and Him crucified. So while um, other, the other three weeks of the month, we can listen to Jimmy Young rant on and on, on this week, we get to hold something in our hands, put something liquid to our lips that are visible reminders that the only solution for sin for any of us is the death of Jesus Christ. So, Father, would you meet us here as your people repent and then move from their repentance to rejoicing. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.